0: Dennis McKenna has fully picked up the torch from the legendary psychonaut Terrence McKenna, his brother, and we get to dive in and go deep about the nature of plants, psychedelics, and the future of the human race. Enjoy the top of your game
1: it, right it now will be, it, will, it will be you know? for
0: this moment right here right now you are unequivocally at the top of your game so we love it that's
1: all right good good if you think so <laughs> then i'm happy
0: yeah indeed so now you've been someone who's been you know intimately aware of the potential healing benefits of these plants for so many years i want to speak to the frustration that you've felt knowing how beneficial these things could be, and knowing the legal system that's been in place to keep these things prohibited and outlawed, I mean, how have you managed just that frustration and how has that impacted your view of the world and in view of our government and in view of the system in general
1: well it's uh that's a deep question you know as, as you know this the psychedelics are a multi-layered thing, and uh touch on every aspect of existence and you cannot really separate them from from the science and the spiritual and unfortunately the political context uh you know i don't have to tell you that the drug uh both drug education and drug uh uh regulation in this country is a complete joke mm-hmm. you know and and it is at least half the problem, you know, in terms of the way that we relate to to these substances and many other substances, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, humans have been co-evolving with, with uh, psychoactive plants, psychedelic plants for thousands of years, you know, and somehow we've managed to do that without the FDA. <laughs> You know, I mean, how, how is that? How could that be that we're even still here? The FDA was not here to tell us what to do and tell us what we couldn't do largely. And yet here we are, you know, and uh, uh, I think it's a question of I think we're learning. I think that. I think that people, you know, in their personal relationships with these plants and these substances are way beyond uh, medicine and and certainly regulation you know i think one of the things that's made the difference in the current historical epoch is we've had 40 years to figure out how to use these things Mm -hmm. you know Uh, back in the 60s lsd came into our culture it was like a bomb dropped into society we had no context for it and everybody freaked out you know, everybody freaked out. This is either a horrible threat or it's the greatest thing since life sliced bread, you know, and, and it was a very polarized situation. I think now, uh, you know, because they have not gone away, we've been forced to and, and you know, we have developed uh, ways to use these things in beneficial ways. And, you know, we know, we know how to do this now much more, you know, Uh, despite what the government you know it's it's not we're not looking to the government actually for this we're looking mainly back to indigenous traditions
0: sure and it may have been 40 years that we figured out how to have a the proper balanced relationship with these plants but as you mentioned indigenously we're talking thousands of years of lineage i mean no one really knows exactly how far back the utilization of ayahuasca for tribes like the Shipibo really goes. But you know, estimates are, you start talking, you start talking in millennial. that's what
1: saved us is the fact that we could look to these older traditions and you know, you'd say, well, how did they do it? You know, and, and, and not necessarily that you can just imitate that or mimic that because we're not Shipibo, we're not indigenous, but we can learn from them we can develop our own paradigms you know and we can also uh you know we can take what we know from those aspects of culture we can combine them with scientific data medical data and uh you know we're developing a new paradigm
0: yeah and now uh, for the first time you know i think there's a real sense of optimism i mean i just returned from the psychedelic science conference and seeing that psilocybin and mdma are entering phase three trials we've already gotten clear on religious grounds at least for some utilization of ayahuasca in the states some utilization of peyote it seems like the climate is and then obviously marijuana um not to be uh not to be overlooked is you know steaming towards recreational legalization nationally i mean all of these things could get disrailed but for finally, there's a sense of progress and optimism. Is this something that you expected, or is this a a pleasant surprise?
1: It's it's actually kind of a pleasant surprise in some ways. Uh, I am, I mean, it's both. I'm I'm not surprised in that it was inevitable. I am, you know, but I wasn't. A, I didn't really expect it to happen so quickly. I mm-hmm. mean, I think you've seen major changes in the last even couple of years especially as some of these studies have come out and uh you know and then the publicity around ayahuasca and and uh i think people have a sense there's a certain uh sense of desperation in a sense in in society people are people are hurting spiritual suffering is great because people don't have any trust in their you know in their spiritual institutions anymore i mean normally back in the day you'd look to the church well the church is i'm sorry it's (laughs) just it's about as irrelevant as politics i mean it's in a sense it does not provide any spiritual uh satisfaction churches are largely just another instrument for mind control behavior control the last thing the church wants you to do is to have a genuine mystical experience you know that's very dangerous (laughs) yeah it's destabilizing to a to a (laughs) power class people are forced to look outside their cultural context and i think i think that's a largely a, a big measure that's what's driving people to go to south america or you know, they're looking for something meaningful in their lives because our lives are so bereft of meaning, you know?
0: It's a, it's interesting. It's It's almost as if the challenges of our current social paradigm, I mean, you look back, you know, anthropologically, and if someone is spending most of their days out in nature, very few distractions, hunting, gathering, sitting by the streams, following the circadian rhythms, I mean, this was life for most of our evolution. You can right. probably get away with not having you know, even though, you know, all evidence supports the fact that they were using psychedelics, you can probably get away with, with a little bit less, you know, but now with the hectic pace of our lives, we need stronger measures to start to heal these trauma and psychological conditions that have arisen because of the dynamic shift in our world that our human organism is not really that capable to handle.
1: Right. Right. And I think that, uh, I, th- I mean, I'm fond of saying, remember that we're not running the show, right? The <laughs> Ayahuasca always reminds me of this. Remember, uh-huh. you monkeys are not running this show. <laughs> and in fact, we're not running the show, but it's easy to... And how comforting. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's yeah. so
0: much better when you can take that pressure off. Damn.
1: <laughs> and, and the plants are running the show. <laughs> right. You know, and I mean, and, and thank God, because the plants are sustaining life on Earth. You know, but uh, the, um, what I think is going on here, Aubrey, is that on some level, it's, it's a rapid social change as we move into really what's a kind of a post-information and I would say even a post-historical culture. There is also a co-evolutionary aspect to this, and that—that's where I think the, the real action is. But that's in the background, you know. We've been we've been co-evolving with these plants for as long as we've been here, and they're influencing the evolution of consciousness. And uh, they always have, you know. This is where we've learned we've learned from these plants, things like, you know, agriculture, and writing, and, and chemistry, and many, many things that, you know, the indigenous people say they're plant teachers. I think as we collectively, and I think the planet as well, collectively, we're in a, we're in a uh, critical juncture historically, and even, geologically and biologically, because we're, you know, we're manipulating uh, forces on the planet that normally keep things in balance, you know, uh, the planet is all about feedback loops and equilibrium, we're capable of disrupting those in serious ways now. You know, I mean, ways that it can't fix normally, it can return to equilibrium, and it's like, oh, the monkeys are you know, off there doing their thing, we're now able to seriously uh, damage those mechanisms, and the planet is responding by saying, "Wake up!" And it's doing it through these tools. I think it's. I think many things come out of the sort of global relationship with, uh, you know, global cultures' relationship with these plants. Uh, but it's a co-evolutionary aspect in ma- in many ways. And uh, the plants, indigenous people say the plants are teaching us. Sure. I totally believe that. And the plants are teaching us. They are plant teachers.
0: So for people who are listening and being like, plants are teaching you. What are these kooks talking about? And, and you know, th- those are probably people who haven't experienced, uh, you know, the ayahuasca s- setting and ceremony where you really feel like you're in communication, sometimes direct communication with an intelligence much higher than your Uh own and where you know i'm i'm open to the theory that this is just unlocking the higher faculties of our brain or some aspect like that it genuinely feels like it's far beyond the scope at least of our normal waking consciousness or anything that we've come in touch with the creativity the knowledge the wisdom even sometimes the humor you know they're funnier than than we've ever been in our life you know things that you wouldn't expect um to come out of this you start to see and i think the best explanation that i heard is you know imagine a being of such superior intelligence and benevolence that for them to manifest in physical reality as a human wouldn't even make any sense they had to they had to manifest as something a lot more stable a lot more ever-present you know and so they manifested in plant forms and that's where you get this idea of plant teachers uh, an evolved consciousness so great that you know going inside a human with all of its capricious and emotional and and flamboyant nature wouldn't even make any sense you know what makes a lot more no. sense is to come you know come to polarity come to this existence as a plant and that's that's a theory that you know whether you want to believe the literal idea of it or you just want to take it as metaphor at least as pure metaphor, it's it makes the most sense to me.
1: Right. Well, you know, everything's metaphor, right? right? I mean everything is is relative in a certain way, but I think that uh you know, you're probably familiar with the work of Michael Pollan, uh, the writer. Mm-hmm. And he writes very clearly and eloquently, I think, about plant intelligence, you know. This is this is a real thing. I mean, a few years ago, you'd be laughed off the stage at the very suggestion. Now we can actually study plant intelligence. They're intelligent. They're not intelligent the way we are, you know, but they are definitely intelligent and they have behavior. If intelligence is the ability to relate to your environment in, in such a way that you optimize your existence than a plant's intelligence yeah you know because that's what they do and they do it largely through this this language that they speak which is chemistry right and and through chemistry they've mastered this this miracle this interesting thing of photosynthesis not only can they use sunlight and carbon dioxide and water to make all their food and food for everything else but then, just out of sheer exuberance or creativity, they can make all these compounds. That essentially is the language of plants, and uh, it relates to it's the medium by which they relate to everything else in the environment: other plants, fungi, microorganisms, animals, and us. You know, and they they have spun out these interesting uh, neurotransmitter-like compounds. You know which existed in the plants before they existed in us. but they have this this signal transduction function, and uh, that is how they, uh, you know, how they manifest their their minds. Uh, uh, you may know Stephen Buhner's work. Uh, he wrote a, he's written many interesting books, but one of them is called Plant Intelligence in the Imaginary Realm latest one it totally blew my mind um makes and I think it's a good one is that we uh we are uh we're mammal chauvinists or something we we, we mm-hmm. insist that if there's no complex nervous system there can't be intelligence you've got to have a brain to be intelligent mm-hmm. turns out things are overrated yeah, <laughs> what yeah. you have to have is complex networks of intercommunication, signal transduction systems. That happens in many instances in nature, and it doesn't. It's not necessarily associated with nervous systems. You know, the the reason our brain is remarkable is because we have this multi-connected, hyper-connected, you know, piece of tissue that's jammed into a very small space. So it's impressive uh, in that respect. But in an old growth forest system or, or an ecosystem the size of the Amazon rainforest, for example, that's a neural network, too. You know, it is it is regulated by feedback uh, and signal transduction processes, which is fundamental in biology. Signal yeah. transduction processes are processes of communication, obviously, but specifically mediated by chemical messengers, and that's what the brain is, right? It's a it's a, it runs on chemical messengers, neurotransmitter. Forests do too. Just about every complex system you look at from the from the microscopic to the macroscopic is regulated by these uh, these uh, signal transduction networks. So it's just why nature is inherently intelligent,
0: n- undoubtedly. And, and you just make a really eloquent case for intelligence in this dimensional plane. And then if you're willing to take that leap, that leap that there, that we are multi-dimensional beings, and then you start to encounter intelligence, that's of a different sort, that something that all the, you know, the indigenous cultures talk about very openly and talk about as if it is reality and a fact of their existing paradigm, that you can actually communicate with these plants and learn from them directly uh-huh. in other dimensional realities. And that, again, for someone who's never experienced it, it sounds crazy. But once you've actually been there and talked to the shamans, worked with the plants and had intelligence come, not just from the psychedelic plants, but you know the tradition of the dieta of learning from all of the different plant spirits, whether they're psychoactive or not, is yo, very much yo. a part of the indigenous culture. And I've I've experienced that personally. I've gone on Dieta and had an interaction with a completely non-psychoactive plant that taught me as many things about life as any wise teacher, grandfather book has ever taught me. And, and it's really interesting when you start to just open your mind to the reality that we may be part of multiple different realities this being one whatever you want to call that other space that we enter and psychedelics seem to be the chakaruna the bridge to those other realities you know whatever is there also allows intelligence to express in different ways and that's where it gets really interesting and i think you open yourself up for you know quantum advancements in knowledge awareness and consciousness
1: yeah, that's true. You, you know, I mean, you, you referred to it a couple of times and I think this is, this is one of the problems in having the discussion because there are two kinds of people in this world, those of, who have been beyond the chrysanthemum, as it were, and those who haven't.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: those who haven't, we can't really have a discussion with them. Right. Because they don't know what they're talking about, you know, <laughs> and they think they do, but they don't. And so it's like, well, you know, uh, they're like the people, the the opticians, you know, that ground Galileo's lenses for the telescope, but refused to look for through it, you know, <laughs> because that, that would they knew that they were going to see something that they shouldn't see, and so you can't do much with those people except you can say, you know, go educate yourself. I mean, go go learn about this stuff, and and mostly find the courage to have the experience, then we'll have the conversation. Otherwise, you know, there's not a lot you can say because they they don't get it, you know? Yeah. And uh, so we just uh, we just uh, have to hope that more people do. And I, you know, I I mean, we all have a mission, right? And, and, and people like you and Joe Rogan, and I suppose myself to a certain degree, I'm, you know, my, I feel like uh, if you look at all the things going on in the world and, and what our best hope is, I think our best hope is to reconnect with these plant teachers teach other people how to connect with them bring people to situations where they can connect with them and you know i run uh ayahuasca i don't do ayahuasca ceremonies i organize them mm-hmm. i have a curator daryl that you know does a fantastic job but our approach is you know we're not running this it the it's the encounter between you, the individual, and the medicine. Our job is to fill facilitate a optimal space for that to happen, where you're safe, you don't have to worry about those issues, and then step back and let you let the teacher teach you, let the student learn directly. Because that's the thing about the psychedelic experience it is quintessentially individual. No one can have it for you. Mm-hmm you know, and that's the big thing.
0: Yeah. What is it? And and I know, you know, your, your brother had talked about this, you know, in the past, but what is it in your mind as you've been around this for so many years, what is the, what are the main sources of fear preventing people from being willing to take the leap, being willing to, (sighs) to look through that telescope, you know, that's right, you know, available. I mean, it's, yes, there's some prohibitive laws, but if you really want to, anybody can find the way. Um, right to, to look through the telescope. What what are the main things preventing people? What are the fears that you see?
1: I just think. I mean, I think, as you say, I think the legal prohibition has very little to do with it. Everybody's going to find a way to do what they want to do, whether it's legal or not. This is, you know, these laws are, uh, you know, absurd from the start. None of this stuff should be prohibited in this way. You know, uh, I just think people are, uh, you know they don't want to step out of their comfort zone that's basically what it is it's unsettling and and you know if they're in a certain uh, mindset where they think they pretty much have things figured out why disturb that you know and these will these will definitely uh make you question things some people do not want to question things you know they like it the way it is even yeah. though that may be the thing they need the most in order to move to the next level but
0: it's funny you know I'll hear I hear that actually frequently with people who are about to do psychedelics or considering it they'll have a job that they love and they're like oh but i I love my job. I don't want to do psychedelics and find out that I don't want to do this job anymore. I was like, if you love your job, most likely you're not going to get the message to stop doing your job. I mean, while that's occasionally happened where people have changed careers, it wasn't because they loved their job and then all of a sudden the plants told them something completely out of left field. You know, This is really revealing a deeper truth that you're going to want to know, you know, you're going to want to know this truth, whatever it is, like the ignorance is not a, is not a security blanket that you should be clinging to. You know, you should want to know your own deepest truth. It, it isn't some external force that's applying its own opinion, like talking to your mom about what career you should have. You know, this right. is like talking <laughs> to your, your deepest self about what would make you the happiest, you know? So it, it's funny how people have these kind of ideas where they hear snippets about someone changing your career after psychedelics and they're like, oh, but I love my career so much. It's like, you'll still love your career. You know, it's not going to fuck with that.
1: Obviously you didn't. Obviously <laughs> yeah. you didn't if you change your career, if you really right. love your job, you're going to love your job even more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so funny. I mean, we are creatures of habit. We're creatures of fear largely. We're, we just like our comfort zone. So we don't want to be disturbed you know, and that's okay because organisms tend toward equilibrium, but you got to distinguish between equilibrium, which to me implies balance, you know, and inertia and inertia is not a good thing, but Mm -hmm. we spend a lot of our time in inertia, just too damn lazy to change. You know, I think we all have that tendency and these things are catalysts for change and uh on the individual level on the planetary level on the species level you know and so they are uh you know they're regarded with suspicion by people that have uh you know an invested interest in making sure that things are stay settled you know i mean terence used to say and i i totally agree that uh uh you know uh psychedelics give you funny ideas they give you funny ideas and funny ideas are inherently dangerous you know uh and and that it's not because they're toxic or hazardous or any of that they could be used safely with a little modicum of common sense but funny ideas overturn societies you know and are the seeds of revolution. You know and, and they can make you think uh psychedelic experience could lead to you know sort of reevaluation of your life situation and, and the whole even global situation and you may come out say, well you know this is not working for me maybe i you know maybe i don't want to work at this job the rest of my life so then i can retire and they can take my pension away and you know uh, it Living your life in a in a cubicle is not necessarily a fulfilled life.
0: Yeah, in, and uh, in in I think
1: a lot of us are stuck in that. You know,
0: no doubt. In uh in Jamie Wheel and Stephen Kotler's latest book, Stealing Fire, I don't know if you had a chance to read it, but they talk about the idea of utilizing psychedelics and other methodologies, non plant based methodologies, to get out of ordinary states of consciousness as a fundamental evolutionary drive. And it's not just for humans, it's for animals as well. And they give a lot of examples of other animals. And the reason is precisely what we're talking about here. It's de-patterning. It's breaking uh-huh. patterns of inertia that may have us like lemmings following each other off a collective cliff. You know, And so using things that de-pattern these, this inertia is essential for survival individually and collectively so you know going with the evolution of plants going along with with humanity you know we're evolving together these are the tools to help us de-pattern inertia which is something that i think is inherently intensely valuable take a fresh look figure out where the momentum where the addictions where the habits where all these things are in your life And then Mm -hmm. re-enter back into ordinary consciousness with greater awareness of all of these patterns that were before uh, unknown to you.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean that that is the essence of the learning process, you know, with these psychedelics. But it is uncomfortable. Anything that takes you out of your comfort zone or challenges your assumption is uncomfortable. Many people don't want to go there, you know, and unfortunately, I. I don't know. I don't see. It's just crazy, Aubrey. You know, I I do not see society, at least this society, moving away from that. If anything, they're retreating more into that. It's like, you know, uh, and and maybe it's just the current historical juncture, the political, uh, you know, environment, but. but you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally disillusioned with politics. I was pretty disillusioned with it before the election, but now the, the, uh, instantiation of this is what happens when politics becomes completely dysfunctional, mm. you know, and, and it's no longer relevant and, and, uh, I have this willful, you know, things like stupidity are celebrated. That's yeah. the weird thing. It's like, don't bother me with all that science stuff. You know, we know that's, you know, a hoax. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> this sort of, uh, you know, willful, uh, retreat into ignorance. And so
0: it's almost, marching
1: uh, into the future eyes fixed on the rear view mirror.
0: Yeah. You know, things happen reaction and counter reactions. And, you know, I think some of this retreat may be because the impending um the impending catalyst for change that is coming, the, the awareness and consciousness, is is also present and around. And it's causing those who are prone to fear to retract to an even more defensive position because the threat of awakening is greater and so those who are threatened by awakening they retreat to their most defensive armored posture you know imagining the stegosaurus with all the points facing outward like ah you know things are going to make right. me change and and i think we've certainly seen that but i think we've seen that a bit as a reaction to um you know to an awakening but we've also seen it as an overcorrection as well you know on the on the more liberal side there's been certainly in my opinion an, an overcorrection of what um some of the bad thinking pathways of the past some of the prejudices that we've had overcorrecting for those also causes an overcorrection the other side you know and and i think so it's interesting just looking at this force and then counterforce that seems to be happening but ultimately you know things are shaking up and this you know yeah. counter reaction and this defensive posture that we're currently seeing will also have the opposite result and then ultimately yield to more awakening just like the awakening in the 60s yielded to more retraction which is now yielding to more awakening it's interesting how we we always like nature herself yield back to cyclical patterns
1: yeah it it goes in cycles and uh you know i'm the i'm not one to say everything liberal is good, everything conservative is not good. I say, you know, a pox on both their houses in a <laughs> way because it's Same because shit, different piles. <laughs> yeah. You have to step out of the reference frame. You have to go laterally and think about things. And then you get a perspective that neither of these institutions, you know, uh, are really capable as long as you stay within that context. I mean, I think the analogy to dinosaurs is is interesting because what is it about dinosaurs? What's the main feature of dinosaurs that we know?
0: <laughs> well, it's the jaws, it's the scales, it's the <laughs> no,
1: they die. <laughs> dinosaurs die. <laughs> that's yeah. what they're known for right is right. going extinct because they couldn't <laughs> hope they could not cope yeah and it's sort of like the sooner the dinosaurs die off the the next generation of who whatever takes their place can happen but the dinosaurs unfortunately are holding most of the power most of the money most of everything that keeps things going and they're very afraid, you know, yeah. and, they, and they're willing to take the rest of the world down with them. That's, that is the scary thing to me. I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like uh, these uh, plant medicines are catalysts for change, you know, catalysts for conscious evolution. And the most meaningful thing I can do, it's a very small thing. But, the, but it's meaningful and it's about all I can do, is to bring people to these medicines and let them have their own encounters. And then it's not my job to tell them what to think. They will come to their own conclusions. But I feel like any it's more effective than anything political I might do or or anything else. If you could just bring people to these medicines, let them have the experience and, spread this knowledge right plants plants are very good at spreading that's what they like to do so the ayahuasca spread from the amazon all around the world in the last what 20 years that's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. you know i mean this is a co-evolutionary process you're looking at and it's it's working fairly fast right now because of the crisis it's it's kicking it into high gear because Gaia, the plant intelligence or whatever, recognizes that, you know, we got to get cracking on a few things. And in order to do that, we have to change our mindset on a global scale. We have to, I think basically we have to re-evaluate, re-understand our relationship to nature. We don't run it. We, it's not here for us to dominate or exploit or all of this stuff that the so-called Judeo-Christian traditions have been filling our head with for, you know, at least 2,000 years. That's completely wrong. Mm. That attitude that is contributing to, uh, you know, the situation that we have, which is that, uh, you know, either either we're completely um uh, you know, lost in delusion, you could say, which is that, well, Jesus is coming anyway, the end days are here. We don't have to worry about nature because that's all gonna go away. And you know, our king our reward is in, you know, the kingdom of heaven, right? But I'm sorry, that's a shell game.
0: We're already, we're already we're already yeah. in the kingdom of heaven. Here we are.
1: Yeah, we're in the kingdom of heaven. It's right here. Jesus is not coming, and no, the alien.
0: No, he's already state. here Brothers inside are us. Not coming. Yeah, yeah we're his his here. consciousness Nobody's is here gonna we're gonna say, in heaven.
1: Save our butts, but us. <laughs> Indeed. And it requires, uh, it requires that we rethink our perspective to nature and realize that we have to symbiosis. Right, my company is called Symbio Life Science nature shows that collaboration is the model for evolution not natural selection and competition that's a small part of it organisms do better when they cooperate pretty simple idea but that's the way it is yeah and if you look at natural systems on every level you find you know you find symbiosis which is a living close living together of different species for mutual benefits, you know, and you see this everywhere, and uh, but we just have to have the uh, perception. We have to have the ability to step out of our reference frame and, and look at that, understand that. And I, I think psychedelics are lenses. You can think of them as lenses for looking at reality. And when you do that, things come. You bring the background forward. You know we're we're so used to looking at the foreground because that's a survive that we're trained to do that. That's our survival. Psychedelics enable you to suppress that temporarily, and suddenly things that were in the background, always there but never noticed, come forward, and you actually see aspects of reality that were there you know are actually there this is not this is not psychedelic delusion because when you're not stoned you know the next day or whatever the insight or the observation holds up so you know i don't know if you know simon powell's work uh have you ever read any of his books no i haven't he speaks very eloquently about this he writes about mushrooms uh very clearly and very articulately and also in a very funny way. So his work is quite entertaining. But the point that he makes is that, you know, of course these things are good for uh, therapeutically, right? I mean, and that's great, but I don't think that's the most important thing about psychedelics. I think psychedelics are learning tools and they actually are like scientific instruments. They let you look at the world in ways that you never looked at, them befo- at it before, and you learn things uh, about it, actual aspects of reality that normally uh, escape notice. Now, there are a few things that contribute to this. One thing I would say is, you know, if you go into the woods with an indigenous person or a child, for example, because children are open too, you know, but someone who doesn't read, for example, I think has a different perspective on reality. You know, we all like to be literate and God knows I love books, but making that, having that skill of literacy actually requires that you have to separate yourself from the environment.
0: Mm. Yeah. You symbolize your reality, right? I mean, cause that's you what we You
1: symbolize we're, it and you have a point of view. The book is out here and you're here and you're <laughs> reading it. You're separated from it. Very different, I think, than an indigenous person, you know, experiences reality because it's all about the visual sense, right? You suppress all these other sensory modalities that surround you always it's just very interesting if you go into uh you know a natural environment with someone who is really not uh that literate or not burdened you know who is really more indigenous um you can be together you can be walking through the same forest at the same time <clears throat> you're in different realities
0: i mean that is really i think <laughs> if you get to the the heart of the metaphor of getting kicked out of the garden of eden like you're mm-hmm. in you're in the Garden of Eden when you're one with the environment and your mind is not playing you know the gowler that's keeping you trapped in suffering and cycles and these patterns of you know self defeating thinking that takes us out of the bliss of of being in that present moment and like that's getting kicked out you know yeah. being being back in is being able to shed all of that and actually being fully present with your surroundings which is I think one of these things that we try to find in as many ways as possible whether it's flow state or psychedelics or um any kind of pharmacological intervention we're trying to escape the burden of our brains and our that we've built up not necessarily our brains but the the mind the ego self the identity self that we've built up and tried to stuff with more knowledge and more symbol making and more thoughts and more ambitions and all of this right you know which is really then we spend the rest of our lives trying to escape that same thing and, and return to the garden where we can just be one with our environment enjoy this amazing world we have to explore
1: right but we we do not you know i mean i mean what we do this separation from nature this learning process you know has been a good thing i mean because the trick is we want to return to a state of innocence without forgetting Mm. right so we want to retain what we what we learned and yet be able to move beyond that and, and recover our innocence and yet retain knowledge. Very tricky thing, right? We had to make sacrifices in order to, to gain knowledge. We had to leave the garden. Now yep. we want back in.
0: Yep. <laughs> you yeah, know? Exactly. But
1: we're not willing to give up what we've learned. And I don't think we have to give up what we learned. I mean, it's all about uh, you know, we, we collectively as a species, and and hopefully as individuals, we're on a path toward wisdom. You know, actual wisdom, which is which is true knowledge. You know, I mean, that, I don't know that sounds silly and New Agey, but uh, that, I think that's what we're. You know, I often say, as a species, uh, we're very clever. You know, we're extremely clever as a species. We're not very wise. (laughs) And this is part of our problem. We've got this disjunct between our cleverness, our inventiveness, our opposable thumbs, our ability to manipulate things, and the wisdom to deploy those things in a way that is beneficial. You know, because, and now it's getting serious because some of these toys could completely and the whole matter you know the whole yeah. shooting match it's, it's albert we now, have, to have the wisdom not to use them if yeah. we if we you know even and though we can't
0: it's einstein's quote our technology has clearly exceeded our humanity you know like we yeah. haven't we haven't been developing the spiritual side the consciousness to to match our technological innovations and our ability to destroy you know so and i think part of that has been these these different thought patterns and practices from You know the the legal systems that have oppressed the greatest teachers that we have available for experiential knowledge, which are these plants, or perhaps religious systems that have enforced, you know, pretty ruthlessly um, constricted thinking, constricted free thinking, and philosophies, and using logic and all of these faculties that we have inherently available, even intrinsically, without the plants. You know, all of these forces. I don't think you can underestimate. How much that's made an impact, but whatever it is, whatever you want to call the combination of these culprits, we've definitely heightened cleverness and depressed consciousness, and now we have a balance issue, and that's yeah, the balance now we
1: have that that's right, yeah, and we we you know I mean Einstein put it very well when he said that. I think didn't he also say something like uh there are only two things that are infinite in the universe, and there are only two things that are infinite, one is the universe. The other is stupidity, and I'm not so <laughs> sure about the universe.
0: It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something very, very Einstein. Yeah,
1: I mean, and that's, that's it. You yeah. know, so why do we find ourselves in a historical juncture where, uh, you know, we're facing all these crises, you know, and we need smart people. This is not going to be solved by stupid people. And yet stupidity is celebrated mm. and actually you know the culture in, in large at least certain parts of it looks down on intelligence it's like uh uh you know they resent intelligence almost and it's uh that is dismaying because that is uh, an excuse for denial and the thing is denial isn't gonna work you know these problems are not going away we have the intelligence and we have to develop the wisdom to deal with these things.
0: Yeah. When I look at the there's the,
1: the dish just as I as I see it.
0: Yeah. When I look at the potential role that humanity can play for the earth, I mean earth needed a species that was that could potentially be clever enough to protect it from its natural state. We live in a cataclysmic planet where regularly things happen that pretty much wipe out everything. You know, and uh-huh. at some point, inevitably, there'll be another one of these things that come. If the Earth was to evolve a species that was as clever as us, that could possibly create diversions or things that could reduce the damaging effects of these cataclysms, save some species, do the, the actual version of the Noah's Ark where we captured all these magnificent creations that have taken millions of years of evolution to, to create but also had the consciousness not to be the destroyer, not to be the cataclysm itself, then we have a very sacred role. I mean, dolphins and orcas may be intelligent, but they have no chance of stopping an asteroid impact. You know, like we have the chance to right. stop an asteroid impact or right. mitigate the damages of a giant caldera blowing up and at least preserve some species even if it's preserving these species on another planet for another you know million yeah. years until ours is ready again because the clouds of dust have finally gone away like we have options to be able to be the shepherds of life and we just haven't really taken that role and instead we've taken largely an antagonistic you know position which is um you know something that we need to we need to reverse
1: well we we have uh been uh brainwashed by uh our so-called judeo-christian values into devaluing nature right and denying biology you know i mean what are the things that uh, the restrictive abrahamic religions what's their main no-nos right Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> these are the things that you shouldn't do. No, these are actually the things that you should
0: do. These are the things I like to do at the same time. <laughs> because
1: we're biological entities. Yes. Right. And I mean, I go, you know, I mean, sex, that's obvious. That's what pushes evolution forward on some level. Drugs. We're made of drugs. I'm sorry. We are made of drugs. That's why we enjoy drugs. We're biochemical systems that run on drugs rock and roll is metabolism rock and roll is oscillation and rhythm if there's no rhythm in the biological system it's not interesting you know why because it's dead <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, yeah. and so we have been brainwashed to deny biology and uh, when in fact we should be celebrating the fact that we're you know corporal beings and a lot of this is is that that you know the, the way our minds have been poisoned this idea that we're somehow a flawed species original sin and all this this is uh this is more of the con game we're not flawed you know we don't have to have an extraterrestrial come and save us you know it's just it just doesn't work that way um and uh so uh you know we have to step out of. we have to re-examine that and and the uh the plant teachers are catalysts for this uh but it is it is dismaying that um i don't know i don't know it's just very strange kind of you know meme sphere we've entered into at mm. this point i hope that this is a, a glitch and it won't you know, that it's not going to continue, but the idea that there are alternative facts and you no, know, no, there aren't alternative facts. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are facts. And then there are lies, and disorder, <laughs> you know, but this is not is stri- You know, also something that you said, then um, I'm not, I'm not arguing against it, but I think, you know, uh, in some ways, uh, I don't know if it's our job to save the planet, you know, and we should do what we can to honor our mother for sure. And the planet's our mother. We should treat our mother. Well, I don't really worry that life on earth is, will be endangered by the stupid things that we do. I worry that our species will be highly endangered Mm -hmm. and, you know, may have to go away uh, at some point. We'll either get rid of ourselves, or other factors will you know gaia will say look this is you know get rid of these monkeys they're just messing up things that may happen i think that nature i think that life on earth uh you know gaia if you want to call it i think gaia is one tough bitch mm-hmm. you know and i think it's going to be very hard for to wipe out life on this planet but not so hard maybe to wipe us out no and, no doubt. You know, in- in some ways, we may be—that may be the best thing we could hope for. But you know, we're we're well, primates. You're <laughs> a primate. I'm a primate.
0: Well, we're part of the we're part of the Earth organism, and we have to decide whether we're a cancer or whether we're a helpful, beneficial part. You exactly. Know, the organism exactly. needs to purge cancer, but if this—if we become the healthy part of the organism that it was designed to be, we can be like an immune system. You know, like we have the ability to be a specialized, exactly. helpful force that can you know facilitate positive processes in all of the ecosystem but i think yeah it goes back to this idea that we aren't nature that it's man and nature what the fuck do you mean man and nature how do you think what do you, what do you think makes a man we're eating nature how constantly you we <laughs> Yeah, right. we're eating nature right. constantly so I, I, and it's becoming man that's a good like point. yeah yeah uh,
1: it's uh that that is the thing that's the thing that we have to recognize is that we're not running things to the degree that we're advancing evolution, then great. Uh, to the degree that we don't, uh, then you know that's not helpful. That doesn't mean it will end, but it means that we're making it more difficult than we have to.
0: Yeah, no um, doubt. And I, and I can't help and but think that one of the major one of the major missteps of these kind of misplaced uh, religious and and social ideas is the idea of unconscious planning of reproduction you know and this like kind of uncontrolled population growth i mean the Uh idea is that you know we shouldn't enter into this with any kind of sense because we've obviously transcended the natural limitations that keep things in balance so the natural limitations are access to food and you know the amount of organisms that you can live symbiotically with because they're supporting you and the amount of land that it requires to do we've transcended all that but instead of putting sensible conscious bounds upon our reproduction and making it easy for people to have things like birth control methods and all of these things that allow conscious reproduction we've actually repressed it because these structures have realized the more people you have as fodder for soldiers or the more people you have tithing to your church the more power you have and so we've exacerbated and just thrown gasoline on this mad unconscious fire where people are just squirting in each other blindly and producing humans at incredible rates and it's imbalance to really what the earth and you know can sustain and support and i think that's one of the areas that we've kind of gotten out of whack and i that used to really really trouble me and and still does and i talked to an author that's uh, one of my favorite authors named starhawk and she's big into permaculture and she says well in permaculture we have a saying and the saying is the problem is the solution and you know i thought about it and i guess that to me is the only silver lining that perhaps with all of the damage that we've done with all of the processes that we've start, maybe at this point we need all of these people to come together and fix it. And, um, the question then is, is how do you adjust the consciousness of all of these different people? The answer is what we've been talking about this whole time. And it's going to come from the plants. So that's kind of my full circle rant of, uh, of how things got fucked yeah, up and how things we fix it.
1: Another, it's got to come. It's got to come from that, you know? Yeah. so, uh, it's, you know, <laughs> I mean, we are, we're a classic instance of, uh, the Chinese curse or blessing we live in interesting times, that's for sure. And at times I feel like, wow, what a great era to be alive in because we're, we're probably going to live to see changes that will really determine whether life is going to be able to continue on this planet or not, which is disturbing to think that, you know, I won't see it. I'm too old. You'll probably see it. My daughter will probably see it. I think we'll reach a point where you'll be able to say, well, actually, now we can predict that, you know, these uh, feedback mechanisms that were keeping things stable have been so wrecked that we're going to have positive feedback and it's going to just go more and more off track. Problem is when you come with that realization, you're almost too late to do anything about Mm. it, you know, and, uh, and that's dismaying where, you know, if, 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 if the issues, I, I remember that I was a, I was a senior in high school, 1969 when the first scientific article I ever saw on global warming came out in 1960 i mean i wasn't paying attention to it but i you know would go to the library in the high school and look at science magazine every week and there was this article about global warming 1969 woken up if we had gotten on it back then and some wanted to we wouldn't be in the pickle that we'd be in today
0: right
1: you know i I mean you know uh but but we didn't because we're a, we're a species that doesn't wake up very easily yeah so
0: yeah. well we've uh, we've prohibited the tools that help us wake up is, which is which is one of the major problems yeah uh,
1: prohibited those tools and deliberately undermined uh you know a lot of the tools that we have i mean yeah. i mean education hmm. is largely a joke you know, I mean, kids don't learn in school. They don't learn anything useful. And now we're implementing programs to you know, make sure you don't learn any facts. You know, they want to school vouchers and all this. They want to bring forth these, uh, you know, these religious dogmas and put them into the schools. I mean, they may as well be madrasas. I mean, it's, it's nuts. Yeah. You know, well, how about teaching people how to think? There's a concept. Teach people how to think. I mean, I understand that the, this was a few years ago, but I believe it was the Texas State Legislature. Did you ever read about this? Actually passed a law that said analytical thinking would no longer be encouraged in school.
0: (laughs) Smart. What? (laughs) Smart. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Anyway, So with all the, with all the things that are going on, it it can be discouraging, but I think, you know, you have to look at a, at a philosophical ethos and the ethos that you want to have. And this was ultimately the greatest comfort for me. And the comfort is, look, if we're in a, if we're in a battle, if this is a war of consciousness versus stupidity, Mm -hmm. stupidity, ignorance, unconsciousness, then the only way to go out is on your shield, you know, go out giving it your best having the most fun, doing the best that you can to change the world, help people have the, the best life they possibly can. And if we all die, you know, in the process, at least at that point, we can say, you know what, we did it. We fought as hard as we could. We went out on our shield. The forces were too great. But, you know, I came in and I went out as a warrior and I went out with a smile. So hoka, hey, motherfuckers, let's go. You know, like that's really the only way that we can approach it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. What can you do? You do what you can do. Yeah. You know, you keep your eyes on it and you keep your, you know, your head clear and your ethical compass working and uh, and you hope for the best. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I talk about all this apocalyptic and fairly, you know, disastrous, depressing stuff all the time. And, <laughs> and people say, well, you know, man, are you a downer? You know, <laughs> I mean, you, are you a pessimist? I'm actually not. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. but it's sort of like I'm a pessimist Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And the rest <laughs> of the time, I'm an optimist. I, I try to balance it out, but I'm not without hope because I think that, uh, you know, I think the Earth is incredibly resilient. If you look back in evolutionary history, there have been times when it's almost completely, almost all species have been wiped out. And then usually that's followed by a you know a, a flourishing of diversity and mm. but these it's the forest take, fire it's the forest fire billions and hundreds of billions of years scales you know so
0: yeah, we see it in a microcosm in a forest fire a forest fire comes in burns down all burns so. down yeah, all the old growth and then see that the diversity that of the scale. yeah uh,
1: but uh you know in terms of planetary evolution we don't we can't co- comprehend that this all is you know gaia's time frame is a lot different than our time frame, you know, and, and I, I take comfort in that, you no know, uh, it, it'll be around for a while. We mm-hmm. may not be around, but it'll be around.
0: Um, I agree with that. So tell us yeah. a little bit about, um, you know, what you want to make people aware of. I know you got some big plans in the works and uh, you know, I'm sure my listeners would love to hear. Oh about
1: yeah. It. Yeah. I almost forgot to mention it. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Thank sure. you for asking. Yeah. I, uh, I'm organizing this conference in the UK. And you can look at the website espd50.com. That's that's where you'll find the information. There's also a Facebook page affiliated with it. Uh, it's it's a personal thing. It's interesting. Uh, in nineteen, it, the ESPD stands for the Ethno Psych Ethno Search for Psychoactive Drugs, and. In 1967, the U.S. government, the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, sponsored a conference called the Ethnopharmacologic Search for Psychoactive Drugs in San Francisco, of all places, in 1967, private conference. All the people involved in this area of Schultes and uh, Shulgin and Andy Weil even was there. Bunch of people you may never heard of. Many of them are passed on now. But they organized this conference, and it was they issued this symposium volume from it, which you can find on arrowwood.org. And it was like a landmark publication, and that was the only thing the taxpayer who paid for this ever got from it was this book. And there were supposed to be follow-up conferences every ten years. That never happened. The mm-hmm. war on drugs came along. And the government became sheesh. We must have been crazy. You. Know, to sponsor something like this this is terrible you know so they never paid for it so i've wanted to do part two pd2 two in some form ever since the 30th anniversary which was 1997 well i didn't come together then it didn't come together in 2007. 2017 is pretty much and that's the 50th anniversary Beautiful that you know we've got this we've got this conference held in the uk it will be it will be pretty much a closed conference except that we're going to share it with as many people want to sign up to the facebook live stream as care to that part will be free and we will issue uh, a, a commemorative collector's edition volume we're going to reprint the original one and the one from 2017 as a box set the spirit of the original conference and we're gonna we're already pre-selling that to get money to pay for the conference and it's working well you know we're getting lots of orders uh so we're gonna absolutely pull this off and uh i think it's gonna be a great conference you know i mean we've there's because 50 years there's been 50 years worth of research done. The psychoactive plants that were discussed in 1967 were not even on the radar. Mm. time. so so it's kind of a snapshot. That was 67. This is 2017. What's the state of the art when it comes to uh, the ethnopharmacologic search for psychoactive drugs? So in some ways, this is, I guess it's a Dennis McKenna ego trip in a certain way, <laughs> you know, because I really want to step up and manifest this this uh, conference. And, and I'm happy that I can do that. But the book itself, the original book was really a big influence on me. Yeah. You know, and it's what led me into this area. So uh, it's fun.
0: Outstanding. It's fun outstanding well everybody who's listening please definitely support the project i'll i'll provide the links i'll definitely help you share it out and please
1: do uh, espd50.com
0: (laughs) espd50.com everybody go to get this book i'm sure it's going to be dope and you're supporting perhaps the most worthy cause that i can think of right now which is helping wake people up so we can make this game last a little bit longer because it's too damn fun to end this quick dennis that's right it's too damn fun well, you so much. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, something I've uh, wanted to do for a long time. And so I'm grateful for all your work in the space and, uh, and glad we got a chance to connect.
1: Yeah, me too, Aubrey. Thank you very much. I yeah. really appreciate it. Uh, I hope maybe one of these days uh, we can run into each other in South America. I'd lo- I'd uh, love i love to share. I know you a- go down there often and you got to drag your buddy down there and uh-huh. you know, maybe, we'll, uh, maybe we'll run into each other somewhere down there i'd love so
0: i'd love to share a cup with you that'd be that'd be beautiful so we'll try and manifest that make it happen okay all right dennis take care my friend all the best all the all best, the best. To you. yep okay bye bye what's up everyone i wanted to give you guys a quick guide to my social media channels first of all facebook is my most active platform that's where i'm putting out all of the videos all of the posts from the podcast and anything that's coming to mind Next is Instagram, where I curate that a little bit further and also post pictures and different events that are going on in my life. Twitter is the proving ground where I put together all the freshest ideas, test them out in the field, see if I like them before they arrive anywhere else, and also a place where I'll point to any events that I'm at or anything that's currently going on. And then, of course, there's aubreymarcus.com, my blog where the longer form articles live and where you can purchase any of my online courses or anything that I'm offering outside of it. Thank you guys so much for your support. And as always, your reviews on iTunes are greatly appreciated. Much love.